So it was up 1945 uh, in Germany. The war had just ended, and there was this guy who, um, young guy who was a shoemaker, and he had just, uh, in a few years prior, or really, I guess, during the war, he uh, opened up this shoemaking shop. And uh, very kind of aggressive or uh, you know, proactive guy in terms of business. He was really trying to uh, get the word out that he was around. And uh, so what he did was um, he went to a, a several pro-Nazi rallies. He wasn't a Nazi, um, but he knew there'd be lots of people there. And he thought this would be a great way to network and just kind of make connections with people about his, his new business. So he did that for a couple of years. He went to these rallies. The war ends, and now he's a wreck um, because he's afraid that uh, he knows his name would appear on some lists having been present at these rallies. And he's afraid that he'll just be labeled uh, a, a Nazi sympathizer by the Allies. So he flees the country and uh, goes to live with his sister. And he just disappears. People, people in Germany think he died because they never really heard any more of him. Now fast forward uh, to the 1970s. It's uh, 1978, 33 years later. In Yugoslavia, communist Yugoslavia, and uh, the economy—you know—the communist economy is always a, a disaster. They got no food; they're rationing food. And there's this little village um, in the northern part of the country. This woman uh, is going in and, and buying food, and they're very limited in how much she can take. And the—I uh, guess—the communist, whatever, spies or police—they're kind of watching over the course of a couple of weeks, I guess, and they're realizing she's slowly taking more food than she's really allotted. Uh, but she's discreet about it. One week, it'll be a little bit more of this. The following week, it's something else. She's trying to really not get caught. But they realize she's doing this, so one day they kind of pounce on her, and they say, uh, take us to your, to your home. And they do, she lives in this farmhouse outside of the village, and they search the house, and they, don't, they find nobody. They're looking, they're thinking she's gotta be bringing food to somebody. And they say, um, let's see the barn. So they go to the barn, and uh, they find the shoemaker, the guy, who, the guy who left Germany. He was hiding in the hayloft. Actually, he was living, he was living in the hayloft for 33 years. This guy hid in this barn um, and pretty much never came out. They said like a couple of times at night he'd come out, but never, never during the day. For 33 years, these guys in hiding because he's just fearful of for his life. It's amazing what fear can do to us, isn't it? The things we will do or not do when we're like, legitimately scared to death, um, whether it's rational or not. And fear is just really powerful. I mean, look at this gospel. They're hiding. You know, it's a couple of days after Good Friday and they're scared for their lives. It's like the shoemaker. 
They fear, they're afraid of the authorities. It wasn't communists, it was the, uh, the religious leaders, the ones who had murdered Jesus a few days before. And they don't know he's yet risen from the dead. So they're hiding in this upper room. It wasn't a barn, it wasn't a hayloft, but pretty much the same thing is going on. And then you get Thomas. Doubting Thomas. I kind of have a sore spot for Thomas. That was the first parish I was in as a priest, St. Thomas the Apostle. Um, and I think sometimes, I think I have a soft spot for, for that reason, but I also kind of feel sorry for him in a way because I think he gets a bum rap. The guy, is, the guy makes one mistake and he's remembered forever for the mistake. So much so that we give him a name, Doubting Thomas. I mean, how about Peter? How about, uh, why don't we call him Denying Peter? It was like Peter got a second shot, but we kind of hold Thomas for this one thing. <laughs> you know who he's like? Remember Bill Buckner? He played for the Red Sox. He's like the Bill Buckner of the Apostles. He made one horrible error in game six of the 86 series. Remember the Mets, Red Sox? The ball went through his legs, this famous epic play. The Mets came back, won that game, like from beyond belief, won that game, win the next game, they win the series. And everybody remembers Bill Buckner for this one error. You know, Bill Buckner played in the pros for 22 years. You don't last as a pro in the major leagues for 22 years if you're not good. You just don't, you don't, you don't have that kind of longevity. He had 2,700 base hits. 3,000 guarantees you get to go to Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame. He was 300 hits shy. Like, he had a very legitimate career. And all people remember is the ball going through his legs. And all people remember is Thomas doubting. And here's the crazy part. I don't even know, arguably, maybe Thomas didn't even do anything wrong. Yeah, the ball went through Buckner's legs. It was an error. I don't even think Thomas really committed an error. What was he guilty of? Questioning? Asking questions? Having some doubts? I mean, what's wrong with that? Not only is that not a bad thing, I think it's a good thing. I think our faith becomes stronger when we let it be challenged. Now, we can do dumb things, dangerous things, spiritually, when we're doubting. If I'm struggling with some aspect of belief and the way I respond to it is I, I walk away, I stop being here, I stop praying, okay, dumb. That's an error, because it's not gonna get better by walking away. But if I remain faithful in the midst of my questioning and I pursue the truth and I'm honest about it, I mean, come on, you're using the brain. You're using the brain and the heart that God gave you. And if it's leading to some questioning and some doubt, that's a good thing. It will we'll come back stronger because of it. So I don't even think he really committed an error. And here's one more defense of Thomas. Why didn't he believe? Because he wasn't there. Why wasn't the air? The rest of them were there. We know why they were there, because they were hiding. Not very honorable, kind of cowardly. Thomas wasn't hiding, presumably. Like, he wasn't in this room. Maybe he was out and about. Maybe he wasn't running quite as scared as the rest of them. So maybe he really is maybe more of a hero. Maybe he really is somebody to admire rather than give some nickname to. 
But I think it's this hiding thing that's really maybe most important for us because we all do it. We all spend time in the, the hayloft hiding from things that we shouldn't. And when we give into that fear and we do retreat, I think we just, we were less than God wanted us to be. You know, it's the, the position at work that opened up that you should have you put your name in for. You should have gone for the interview. But you didn't because you were afraid of just not getting it. A fair fearful of the response, the increased responsibility. So you stayed up in the hayloft where the, your little cubicle where it's comfortable and predictable. And now some clown has the job and you know you could run circles around that guy. But he didn't hide in the barn and you did. And he's got the job and you resent him or her. Look what fear can do. You know, you got the job offer, but accepting it would mean we got to move. And your family is very tight-knit, maybe too tight-knit, maybe borderline controlling. And it's like, well, you can't move. You've got to stay close where everybody is within arm's reach. And you're thinking, I don't know, maybe this would be a good thing. Maybe it would be healthy distance, not forever distance, but maybe it would be good for all, it'd be good for my job situation, maybe it'd be good for everybody. And you realize if you do that, you know, you're gonna have a lot of people disappointed, so you don't do it. And maybe you should have done it. Fear of disappointing people left you hiding in the hayloft. Or the kids sitting in the cafeteria who's being treated in sort of just disgraceful ways. And all you're thinking about is, let me just go over and kind of include the kid, kind of invite the kid over. But you're fearful, if I do that, they may start treating me the way they treat him. So you let them hang out, you hang them out to dry along with everybody else. And you hide in your safe hayloft. Yeah, fear can be a really awful thing. It can be a good thing, it can keep us safe, can also keep us hiding way too much. I remember when I was in the seminary one year, uh, these chaplains, these military chaplains came to speak to us, Army, Navy, and, and Air Force. They were all priests, and they were trying to recruit us to become chaplains. And I was very interested. I was interested before these guys came. I always thought, man, it'd be kind of cool to be an Army or a Navy chaplain. So I started talking to this army chaplain and you know, he got my name and I, the more I talked to him, the more excited I was. And it wasn't even that big a commitment. It was like to be in the reserves. It wasn't like I was signing away. I was going in the service, active duty or anything like that. But it was gonna require going to Germany for I think six weeks that summer to train, become a chaplain and an officer. And people said it was great, like you had freedom while you were there. You had the ability to do a little bit of travel as well as just be in Germany. So I was like thinking, I'm gonna do this. And it was getting closer and the, the chaplain or the recruiter was sort of like knocking on my door more and more looking for me to sign off on it. That summer I had the opportunity to also go back to the, the parish I was in the summer before in Smithtown where I had spent a year living and I loved it. And I knew I'd have this easy job <laughs> 
very familiar. I'd know everybody. They had a great youth program. I'd be hanging out with the kids. It'd just be a fun summer. And as the, the deadline drew closer for the Army thing, I started thinking more about Smithtown. And I started thinking, ah, I don't know, what, what's it going to be like being alone in Germany? That may be kind of lonely, maybe kind of boring. And I didn't do it. I went to Smithtown. And I totally regret it. It would have been a great experience. And I may, I, maybe I would have become active duty for an, a couple of years. Like, how great an experience that would have been. And I don't have it. Like, it's a piece that I, I can't, that would have just objectively made me a, a better person, probably a more interesting person. But I got scared, and I hung out in the hayloft. My hayloft was Smithtown. We all do it. And I think this gospel saying, don't. Resist it as much as you can. But I think ultimately, this story is about mercy, even more than it is about fear. I mean, go back to that shoemaker, that German shoemaker who was hiding. Let's be, he wasn't a Nazi. They found out almost immediately that the guy wasn't. And they let him go in the 70s. So he didn't go to jail or anything like that. He wasn't convicted. Say he was a bad guy. Say he was a Nazi. And say he showed up, or Jesus showed up in the hayloft where he was hiding. What do you think Jesus would say? I mean, if he was a Nazi, what do you think Jesus would say? Do we have special rules if you're a Nazi? Well, we don't really do the mercy thing if you're a Nazi. No, look, we don't. And I'm not making little of being a Nazi. But I'm saying mercy is mercy. Forgiveness is forgiveness. What did Jesus say, repeatedly say to the apostles when he showed up? Peace. I suspect that's because he knew these guys were humiliated at what they had done. Ashamed that they had ratted him out and denied him and run. You know they were thinking that. And you know Jesus knew it. And Jesus says, peace. You don't hear, where, did, where were you on Friday? How did you run from me? How did you deny me? You get none of that. You get peace. You get mercy. I remember reading this uh, great article by this priest. He uh, talked about an experience he had. He was, a, he was a brand new priest. He was living one summer with this retired priest in this rectory. Guy was in his 90s and beloved. This kind of uh, just incredibly holy, like a saint. People used to, in his 90s, people would seek him out because he just had so much wisdom. And they're sitting at the dinner, and this young guy totally admired him. They're sitting at the table one day. The young guy asks the old guy, if you could do it over again, if, you had, if you're able to kind of redo your priesthood, would you do anything different? And the guy immediately, he didn't even pause, he said, yeah, I would, and he said this, if my priesthood, if I had it to do over again, I'd be easier on the people. I wouldn't be so stingy with God's mercy, with the sacraments and with forgiveness. I fear that I've been too hard on people they have pain enough without me in the church laying further burdens on them. I should have risked God's mercy more. That's a great line, I think. I should have risked God's mercy. Risk God's mercy. Like, don't be stingy with it. If Jesus wasn't, we never should be. The guy writing the article, the priest talked about, right before that, right before he was ordained, he's at this lecture. Him and his classmates, these ready-to-be pr brand-new priests, and this priest is sort of giving them this you know, advice. This guy said the opposite about mercy. He said, be careful. Don't be too soft. 
Only the truth sets people free. Risk truth over mercy. Risk truth over mercy. Man, that's a, that's a terrible line. That's the opposite of what the old guy said. Be careful with the mercy. Don't, don't be too merciful. I think this gospel is saying with mercy, risk it. Don't hoard it. Man, if Jesus forgave these guys for what they had done to him, you know he's forgiven us for all that we've done. Mercy and truth aren't at odds. It's not mercy or truth. Pick one. It's both and. And I'm not going light on sin. I'm not saying there isn't objective right and wrong. You know why we know that? Jesus still had his scars. He still had his back. He's risen from the dead. And he's still got the scars to show it. And he's like, hey, look. He wants them to see it. Not to put them on an endless guilt trip, but to remind them that, man, what you did was wrong. And you were, you were capable of more. And betrayal is never okay. But mercy is more okay. So peace. Anyway, I'm thinking of the hayloft. This poor, pathetic guy hiding for 30, whatever, 33 years in a hayloft because he was scared. What's your hayloft? I mean, there's no barns around here. There's literally no hayloft. But we make our own. What's your hayloft? Come down from it.